Hello, and welcome to the Michigan Murders. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. And, uh, I think we were both feeling like they were getting to be kind of bummers. So we've got a fun, funner episode lined up here. Yeah, absolutely. I know that with the two cases that I have, one is very, very short. And that one's just basically like silly, like stupidity gone wrong. And the other one is quite hilarious. So a couple of things to make you chuckle, I guess. And uh, I'm first this week. So I'm very excited to tell you that I'm going to be talking about well, it's, it's kind of Michigan. It's Michigan related. Uh, pirates. I'm going to talk pirates. about pirates on the Great Lakes. And who, uh, you know, there's some interesting ones. That's for sure. So um, how did pirates end up on the Great Lakes? That's <laughs> funny to me. It's a lake. Well, yeah, you think about it. The Great Lakes are huge, though. And yeah. used for shipping that was the easiest way to get things around and they're still used for shipping today so it's it's not super surprising i guess to think about pirates being on them at one time you know uh where am i at here a michigan.org article says the great lakes pirates were some of the most fearsome and burly of any waters on the map these swashbucklers ruled the high freshwater seas and made their living sailing and searching for treasure, not known to Jack Sparrow. Lumber, illegal alcohol, and wild game meat. Known as timber pirates by some, these buccaneers would ship up to the Upper Peninsula to cut down wide areas of timber to sell to industrializing cities east of the state. Alcohol runners would even steal alcohol to sell in Detroit or Chicago, or trade for guns and loot. But they also had a culture of their own, dressing for the weather in knitted wool caps, mittens, and sweaters, and generally not speaking pirate, but instead in the dialect of those surrounding them, with a Scandinavian accent up in the Wisconsin area, a more Germanish flair in Ohio. So that was from the website. There's That's their description of pirates. <laughs> and since I did talk about prohibition, I don't know why I didn't think of them like that. Like running alcohol across the water. Technically pirates? I don't know. I guess so. You're stealing alcohol from other people and then taking it on your ship and selling it in another port. Technically. Our matey. Yeah. <laughs> Yo-ho and a bottle of rum. <laughs> and it, or is it like, a, if you're in the Upper Peninsula, is it A, matey? <laughs> a, matey. Yeah, it's, it's not our A. <laughs> So I had found three examples. So I'll start from oldest to newest. Uh, The first is John Rackham, known as Calico Jack. The book Michigan Bad, Robbers, Cutthroats, and Thieves by Tom Carr says it's believed he got a start in the Great Lakes before sailing down to the Caribbean. Personally, as I was reading that, I was thinking it's because he probably wanted some warmer weather and was sick of the cold seasons. But it snowed again last night, so that could just be me. Because <laughs> what are you going to do when the when the lakes are frozen over? Yeah, he's got to go pirate somewhere else. And he was like, you know what? I heard of this really nice place. 
where it doesn't get cold. <laughs> I heard there are other pirates down there doing things. I'm going to go there. Calico Jack was known for his colorful clothing and is remembered as a small-time pirate from the 1700s who would steal anything from cash boxes to entire ships. Calico Jack would wait until a fisherman or woodcutter was away from their ship and sell off with it in the night. So he was stealthy. And kind yeah. of like in Pirates of the Caribbean, Johnny Dove's character. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. As like, I was like, too. that sounds just like It's Captain Jack. Jack. Yeah. I wonder if they based that character off of him. That would be funny. I could see it yeah. in a lot of ways. And within the Great Lakes, he became famous for stealing things like fishing tackle and sometimes entire boats. And what I appreciate most about Calico Jack, other than his cool name, is the fact that he had two female crew. One was Ireland-born Anne Bonny, who happened to be married to somebody else when they got together. In 1718, Anne married sailor John Bonney and moved with him to New Providence in the Bahamas. Anne was unhappy in her marriage, and John had become an informant for the governor of the Bahamas. Anne met and became involved with Jack. I imagine she just wanted some... Something Spice in her life. Some excitement. A little razzle-dazzle. <laughs> I don't want to be a normal wife to this sailor informant anymore. I want to hook up with the pirate. I don't want to be with a snitch. I want to be with a crook. Yeah. Um. So I was going to say, I mean, in this case, I, I would think the the crook is better than her husband. But yeah, Um. that's because... After her husband found out about the affair, he brought her to the governor to be whipped for adultery. Jack offered to pay her husband to divorce her, but John Bunny refused. He wanted her for himself, didn't want to let her go, and just wanted to get her whipped instead. You know, like any good guy. <laughs> so the story goes that in August 1720, Jack and Anne stole a ship to escape her husband and she joined his crew, dressing as a man, when joining the crew to pillage. The other female was Mary Reed, who first joined pirate ships dressed as a man. And unfortunately, from what I found, that's all the book had for Mary and how she joined. I feel like her story would also be very interesting. Yeah. Just as a, as a female that joins a pirate crew. Unfortunately, in October 1720... Calico Jack was near Jamaica, capturing small fishing vessels along the northern coastline. He came across a small vessel filled with 11 English pirates, and shortly after, Jack's ship was attacked by an armed sloop, and he and his crew were captured. They were brought to Jamaica, where Jack and nearly all of his crew members were sentenced to be hanged. Womp womp. But according to Britannica.com, Anne and Mary were tried and were found guilty and sentenced to death. However, their recently discovered pregnancies won them stays in execution. Well, on a pirate ship, get knocked up. So there could be Calico Jack's, like, line. Potentially. 
Reed died in prison the next year, but Bonnie was released, likely because of her father's influence. And Bonnie is said to have returned to Charlestown, where she married, had children, and spent the remainder of her life. So, his, his child could be out there somewhere. Also, fun fact, Jack's ship is the first known to sail with the Jolly Roger flag, and it said his crewmate, Carl Starling, designed the flag. The second pirate I'm going to talk about is King, air quotes, that's what he called himself, King James Jesse Strang. And this guy, the more I read about him, I think just the more delusional nut job this guy was, in my personal opinion. Strang was a Mormon offshoot religious cult leader in the 1850s who declared himself royal, quotes, and had four wives. After being run out of towns and places like, I might get this pronunciation wrong, Novu, Illinois, which was at one time the Mormon headquarters, and Green Bay, Wisconsin, among others, before taking over Beaver Island with his 500 or so followers. Oh, my goodness. Of course, so, Beaver Island. Be- Beaver Island. Yep. Apparently he was there. In 1855, the gang burned sawmills and stole $1,600 worth of goods from a local store on Beaver Island under Strang's leadership. An article in the New York Times read, The people along Lake Michigan, from here north to the, uh, to the Manistee, it says the Manistee, I'm not sure why, have been thrown into the most intense excitement by the operations of a gang of marauders who are reported to be Mormons from Beaver Island and who have carried on their operations with a boldness, coolness, and desperation rarely equaled in the records of highwaymen. So, they were tough, I guess. Interesting. Strang didn't just make enemies out of those he attacked. He also angered his own people, too. One of his followers... Thomas Bedford, was flogged for adultery on Strang's orders. Dr. H.D. McCulloch was excommunicated for drunkenness and other alleged misdeeds after he previously had Strang's favor. In June of 1856, Strang was waylaid around evening time on the dock of the harbor of St. James, chief city of Beaver Island, by Wentworth and Bedford, who shot him in the back. No one on board the ship made any effort to warn or aid Strang. After his followers waited for the divine instruction, he said would be provided, because, you know, cult leader. Of course. Um, However, no instruction came. Instead, the people... Yeah, surprise. (laughs) He told us there'd be divine intervention and nothing happened after he was murdered. Come! What? (laughs) We are shocked and dismayed. (laughs) The audacity. I know. Um, So instead, what happened was worse. So the people who were chased or banished from the island returned and beat and sent all of his followers off into Lake Michigan to fend for themselves and re-inhabited the island. So they took their island back from all these people who overtook it. See, you can't feel too bad for them. No. Like, just go away. The true divine intervention. (laughs) Yeah, there's your divine intervention. Get off our island. 
The book says that shipwrecks have been found offshore the island and skeletons have been found buried on the island attributed to the marauding pirates. And the final person I'm going to talk about is Dan Seavey, who might be the most notorious. Roaring Dan Seavey started as a sailor in the U.S. Navy. After he left the military, he found himself poor with only his ship, Wanderer, to his name. He took up a life of plundering as any good Navy man would, I guess, and later became the only man known to be formally charged with piracy on the Great Lakes. Seavey was a thief who kept an eye out for large shipments of venison and alcohol that he could later sell at a higher price. Those who tried to stop him faced the cannon he had on board. Well, well. <laughs> the man had a cannon on a Great Lakes ship. Like, a true pirate. <laughs> but to protect venison and alcohol. Yeah. Of all things. Venison and liquor. Yeah. Like, that's what... That's the okay. he valued most, I guess. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Like, hey, you know it's worth a lot of money? Venison. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Sure. He just really liked meat. I don't know. Uh, Makes me wonder what he would have done for like a cow or a good steak. He was also known for putting up fake lights that simulated a port. So (laughs) So ships would crash on the rocks and he could steal their cargo. What? Purposefully grounding ships to get their stuff. That is actually <sighs> insane. Yeah. Oh, it, it he's the even more uh I don't know if you want to call it clever or what, but CB's most famous act was his takeover of a schooner named the Nellie Johnson. CV invited the Johnson's crew to drink with him while he stayed mostly sober. Then he threw the drunken sailors off their ship and sailed it to Chicago, where he sold the ship's cargo. <laughs> did he make them walk the plank, or did he just like <laughs> yeet? <laughs> to use my son's yeet. language, <laughs> I would love to think that he yeeted them, but he likely <laughs> said, "Hey, walk that plank, hey." <laughs> hey, or would you look at that over there? Come, come, stand here. Shove. Splash. Okay, I'm gone. Yeet. <laughs> it couldn't have been a very big crew. He just got them all drunk and then just one by one tosses <laughs> them off the ship. <laughs> just trying like, to how did he... Right, you had to get him to walk or something. Either that or he, like, got them all drunk, maybe in a different location, and then one by one was like, oh, I want to show you something. Takes him somewhere. Oh, he went to bed. Why don't I show you this thing that I wanted to show him? Takes them separately. And then, like... Yeah, that had, that had to be a small crew for them to sail the ship by himself to Chicago. Yeah. CB was charged with piracy, but was acquitted. I wasn't able to find more details than that in the book. It would have proved useful to have some information, but... Dan Seavey retired sometime in the late 1920s. If you want any idea of the timing on that one. So that wasn't, that really wasn't that long ago for pirates. Uh, 
1920s. Yeah, re- retired sometime in the 1920s, you know, late 1920s, uh, during Prohibition. Which you would think would have been his heyday. Yeah. Like, you, you, you do it with alcohol, of yeah. all the things. So when they say you can't have alcohol anymore, then you go, oh, I'm retired. That's your, that's your time, man. Maybe he just didn't want to mess with the mobs. Like the mobs came in Likely. and he's like, I am just a humble pirate. I can't keep up with, with these cannon. mobsters. Yeah. I don't oh. have Tommy guns. I have cannons. Could you imagine a mobster getting in his boat and then having access to a cannon? Oh, no. <laughs> I he mean, could have been a pirate. think about it. Babyface. Oh, yeah. Babyface Nelson. At the, at the helm. <laughs> oh, Lord. The thought of it makes me laugh. Yeah, the, ti- the timing's odd, that's for sure. So Dan Seaver retired sometime in the late 1920s and settled in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. He died in a Peshtigo nursing home on February 14th, 1949, at the age of 84. So really, he was in his 60s when he retired from piracy or whatever he was doing. Whatever you want to call it. He could have kept it up. I mean, you know. Um, so in the Michigan article that I had mentioned, uh, talks about shipwreck museums that you can go to in Michigan if anyone's interested uh, the, there's the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum and Whitefish um, Point Light Station. That's you know, Whitefish Point, Paradise, Upper Peninsula, way out in the middle of nowhere. Or there's the Alpena Shipwreck Tours that you can do. And there's also Glass Bottom Boat Tours in Munising that they didn't mention, but I know about because it's, you know, <laughs> it drive by cool. it. <laughs> and, yeah. I can't even tell you the number of times I've driven by the glass bottom boat tours in Munising, and I've still never been on one. Next time I come up there, <laughs> us and the kids, we're going, we're, we're going to do it. Yep. It's, it's right there. They have a free day once a year when you can do a free tour. And I'm like, nope, that's too many people. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Yeah, that's, that's what I have for uh, Great Lakes Pirates. Well, that's interesting. I, I never would have thought, I don't know. I mean, I, I get it, but I never would have thought pirates in the Great Lakes. Yeah. I think of Great Lakes. Piracy is not the first thing that comes to mind. No, no, not at all. Not at all. But I've got something to start this off. But I could not stop laughing when I was writing this. Because it's so asinine that I never would have thought I would have to say these words. But I've named my two stories. One, and this first one is called The One with the Crime Fighters. Oh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So a man known as Beasting in 2012 was arrested for felonious assault and possession of body armor following an incident at Twin Meadows Mobile Home Park 
in Burton. <laughs> it just keeps getting better. It keeps, oh, it's going to get better. It keeps getting better. <laughs> Lieutenant Michael Odette stated that bee sting is part of the Michigan Protectors Group, which claims themselves online as a group of costume activists. So they're, are they vigilantes? Because it kind of sounds like they're vigilantes. <laughs> they're vigilantes. They're vigilantes. They're vigilantes. So I was like, the guys who really wanted to be superheroes. Got it. Do you know what, though? I love a good vigilante story. Yeah. But the owner of the mobile home park, Bruce Stein, or Stein, said that he did not give the group permission to act as security at the park. At about 12.07 a.m., a 38-year-old man was riding into the park with his girlfriend when they were approached by Beasting because of how loud the motorcycle was. The costumed vigilante was equipped with a tactical belt, pepper spray, scissors and handcuffs, and was wearing a bulletproof vest, black leather jacket with a bee logo, shin guards, knee pads, black leather gloves, and was carrying a shotgun. It seems excessive there, beasting. <laughs> Take it back a notch. You really want the, You're at a trailer park, jacket? not uh, fighting the Joker's henchmen. <laughs> That's just, I can't. I, oh, God, it was the funniest thing. I'm like, it's, it's so terrible because this could have ended up really wrong. But I can't stop laughing. Uh, I think it's the whole, like, you're making too much noise. That's not a good use of vigilantism. Not at all. You know, that's like a a super Karen, is what that is. Yeah, super Karen. Perfect. (laughs) Absolutely. An argument ensued between them, and according to the victim, it escalated and Bee Sting pointed a gun at him. The victim, yeah, the victim was able to grab the barrel of the shotgun and point it in a different direction. And one shot was fired, which ended up um, striking a nearby vacant trailer. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. Luckily vacant. Yeah. The men were fighting as police officers arrived. And Lieutenant Odette said that the department had first heard about the Michigan Protectors Group during a rash of arson fires that were taking place at the park. We discouraged him from having modern-day self-proclaimed superheroes in the park because of what may happen, he said, stating that they also advised Stein to hire a professional, reputable security company. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) That makes sense. That makes sense, Lieutenant. Um. And Stein said that he'd been talking with someone regarding security who may be part of the group, but it was not the man that was inside the park during the incident. Right after they caught the second arsonist, there was just a lot of tension in the park, and I wanted him to see what was going on and what was happening, states Stein. I did not give permission to the Michigan protectors to come into the park and do what they were doing last night. Did you, did you say permission? Permission? You said to the Michigan like Protectors? You said permission to the Michigan Detectors. If I did, that's so funny. 
I'm gonna have to go back and listen to the recording. Yeah, that's hilarious. Because if I did, that's hilarious. <laughs> per Michigan. So if you did, I'm gonna keep this discussion in because that's funny. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely do. According to what could be found on the protector's website, Beasting is a combat veteran who, after recovering from injuries sustained in Iraq, returned home to help others. Was one of those injuries a head injury? That is my question. <laughs> yes. That is that is what I was wondering. Was there a head wound? Um, yeah. May I you know, beasting it made it makes me wonder if he ran around going, I am Batman. <laughs> you know? And beasting. <laughs> you cannot see me. I sting you. <laughs> I'm confused. It's not even like a wasp or a thing that will Sting you? He's like, the, it's done? It's, Just a bee sting. It's, yeah, it's a bee sting. That's what they say when you're, they're going to give you a shot. It's going to feel like a little bee sting. As in, it's not that bad. <laughs> exactly. Bee sting was unmasked as Adam Thomas Bezo, 36, and an $80,000 bond was set. And a group representative named... Arsenal. <laughs> I mean, cooler name. Better name than Beasting. Yeah. Said that Beasting has been kicked out of the group for this. Oh, man. Oh, I bet that stung. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I bet he's, that put a bee in his bonnet. Uh. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it. That's too funny. And last... Last I could find of all of this, because there's like a few articles that I went down a little, a little hole to try to get like, because they each of them were small, but they had little blips like, the first part, middle part, and then the last part. The last I could find of all of this was that, a group was trying to fundraise for his bail. Which his bond was set at eighty thousand, and at the time, of the article. They had but raised less than three hundred dollars. <laughs> uh, well, you get I a bail bondsman. It. I think their share would be like eight grand or something. So. I'm like thinking. I mean, I like. I like your tenacity, but I don't think three hundred is gonna do. No. Oh goodness, that one. I could not stop laughing. <laughs> I want that to be a movie. Because there's the, oh, what's it called? Like, the kick-ass movies or mm-hmm. um, Mystery Men. It was like an old Ben Stiller superhero movie. Oh. is amazing. Terrible superheroes. They're trying to put a group together. Yes. I want to say it was from the 90s, maybe. I don't know. I think so. And then the last one that I have, also from 2012, is the one where the carjacker is shot. Oh. Karma, I guess, but... A 17-year-old man, Leo Ricardo Stringer, learned that crime may not be his calling when he was shot by the person he was trying to carjack close to Hurley Medical Center. Genesee County Prosecutor David Layton said that his luck didn't get any better when he was transported to Hurley 
for the gunshot wound, and while receiving treatment at the hospital, one of the nurses identified him as the man that had robbed her just two weeks prior. Oh my gosh. Sir, get it together. A life of crime is not for you, sir. No, don't, don't think so. He was being charged with carjacking, carrying a concealed firearm, felony firearms, and delivery of a controlled substance, and additional charges for armed robbery and felony firearms charges in connection to the robbery of the nurse. The nurse, who was visiting from out of town, had been robbed in a parking lot near the hospital, and she had recused herself from treating him when she had identified him. She's like, mm, yeah, not me. <laughs> not it. That one was very short, but it, it did make me stop and go, you know, I don't think that life is for you. Yeah. I mean, learn a trade, you know, learn a skill, put that to work. Yeah, I don't think that's the life that you want. Because doesn't seem to be working out there, bud. <laughs> oh, boy. But we needed some giggles after all the craziness that we have had lately. For sure. I feel better now. It wasn't all depressing and sad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless you think of beasting sitting in a jail cell is sad. <laughs> well, for another reason than you'd think probably. Uh, I, re- I, I bet that really, you know, dampened his wings. <laughs> having to sit in that jail Did you write these down or are you just No. <laughs> no, not at all. Wow. Nice. Uh. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Be safe out there and watch out for the crazies. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomptech.filmmusic.io.